Hey friends, this is Andy Storch, and I'm excited to announce that we are bringing the Talent Development Think Tank Conference back on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. Yes, you might remember we hosted this conference for the first time in January 2020, and it was a huge hit with everyone telling us it was the best conference they ever attended. And of course, we were looking forward to running it again in 2021 until the pandemic hit. That's when I launched the Talent Development Think Tank membership community, and that's been going strong since May of 2020. But I know how valuable it is to get people together in person, and that's why we are excited to be bringing the conference back again on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. I'm committed to making this a highly engaging and interactive event where you can connect, learn, and grow together with other talent development professionals. This is going to be the best event out there in talent development, and I would love to see you there. If you want to find more information and get your tickets today, the website is tdtt.us conference. That's tdtt.us slash conference. I hope to see you there. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat with your host, Andy Storch. The show is dedicated to helping you develop the most important part of your organization, the people. If you are in HR or talent development, or you just want to learn how to get the best out of your people, then you are in the right place. This podcast is designed to give you what you need to be successful in the world of talent development. Now, here's your host, Andy Storch. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat. I'm your host, Andy Storch, and I've got a great interview for you today. It's all about influence and the power of storytelling. Today, I'm interviewing my friend Kelly Dujois, who is an absolute expert on the topic of influence as well as storytelling and the gender bias that exists out there in the workplace. For the last 20 years, she's been exploring the topic of how to communicate ideas in a way that leads others to support them and has trained thousands of leaders on the skills to do this through her Influence Inside solution, uh, which is one of our solutions that we offer at Advantage Performance Group. Kelly has continued to be fascinated by the topic, looking for ongoing opportunities to learn and share insights, tips, and strategies. And lately, she's been really digging into the topics of gender bias and storytelling. And we cover both of those topics, as well as the overall subject of influence and why it's so important in the corporate workspace in this interview, which we recorded live on LinkedIn back on April 30th. So right in the middle of everything going on with COVID-19 as well. So that's mentioned and you can go back on LinkedIn and find that if you want to watch it, or you can hear the interview here. And I want to let you know that Kelly is one of our thought partners in our network at Advantage Performance Group, our sponsor company, and her program Influence Inside is something that I offer to my clients. And so if after listening to this, if you're interested in working with Kelly to either implement the Influence Inside program or something more on storytelling or gender bias, all of her programs are highly, highly valuable and really popular just reach out to me, send me an email to astorch at advantageperformance.com or head on over to our sponsor website, advantageperformance.com. Head over to solutions. You can take a look at Influence Inside under leadership, uh, or you can go to free resources and webinars to see the webinar that Kelly did for us, I believe back in March on um, influence through gender bias in the workplace. So lots of free resources for you if you go to advantageperformance.com. And now without any further ado, here is my interview with Kelly Dujois on the power of influence. All right, I am live with my friend Kelly Dujois, who is an expert on influence, leadership, and storytelling, and excited to have her to share some of that expertise with everyone joining today. Kelly, welcome to the show. 
Thanks, Andy. Thanks for having me today. It's great to be You're here. You're welcome. Really great to have you on. We've had the pleasure of uh, working together a little bit over the last couple of years, and I've gotten to know you and seen some of your work in especially the areas of influence, leadership, and most recently, we were together at a conference in Austin in March, right before we were told we were not allowed to go anywhere ever again, at least not for a while. And you showed us this new solution you have on storytelling, which was fantastic. Yeah. So I'm really excited to dig into that stuff. But we should start with a little bit of an intro of you know who you are and, and what you do. Yeah. Who am I? Great question. Good right. question for all of us to be asking these days. Right. Who are we? <laughs> and where are we? <laughs> and what the heck's going on? Yeah. So who am I? Well, first of all, I'm a woman. I identify as a woman. I am a mother of two. I am a highly educated female professional that's been in the work environment for a number of years. And um, I think the, the thing that connects to maybe what we're talking about today is I got really interested in the topic of influence 20 years ago when I felt like I was failing in a job. And I got really intrigued with this question, why? And it was a job that I was technically skilled to do. I definitely had the capabilities. And I realized quickly my challenge wasn't about my technical skill. It was about my ability. I was a young female professional at the time working with a group of predominantly men for the most part. And I found that it was more about my ability to get people to hear me and to actually hear the ideas that I had to share and to take those seriously. So I got really intrigued with influence then. I saw it as my personal journey of my own development. And then I got passionate about it when I started my own business, realizing after having worked on it with a lot of people who are truly, truly experts in this topic of influence, that there are ways we can all get better at it. And there's things that we can all do. And it's a trainable, learnable skill set. It's not something that we're just innately born with. So yeah, that's what I've spent the bulk of doing leadership development around influence and how you can be more influential with the people that you're trying to get to follow you and how you can do that in different contexts. So yeah, that's a little bit about me. And I've worked inside big companies and I've had my own consulting firm for a while. And I've had the benefit, the enormous benefit of working with amazing companies globally. So I get a lot of joy out of that. If you work in talent development, you know that your job has become more important than ever. The problem is there's so much uncertainty and noise out in the business world and things are changing so fast. It's hard to know where to go and what tools and resources to use to solve your problems. That's why I recently launched the Talent Development Think Tank community as a central and safe place to access information, ask questions, and talk with other L&D professionals like you so that you can achieve your goals and accelerate your career. Join today to get instant access to our online platform and community of ambitious, helpful talent development professionals who understand your world and can help you solve your problems. Right now, I'm offering 25% off the subscription price to podcast listeners. Just go to talentdevelopmentthinktank.com and use code HOTSEAT for 25% off. That's talentdevelopmentthinktank.com and use code HOTSEAT. Thanks, and on to the episode. I love that you started with who you are as a person, as a woman, as a mother. <laughs> I often do that as well, you know, start by saying I'm a husband, I'm a father, going with my purpose. And speaking of that, my children are trying to break into my office right now, which is par for the course these days as I record these at home. I love that the story that you shared as well and how you got into this. Oh, yeah. um, a lot of times we think of influence as 
we're trying to persuade people to do things for us or whatever. But when you started out, it sounded like it was more about just getting a seat at the table, getting attention in a challenging environment. Oh, completely. I mean, there's so much and we all feel it. I mean, everyone I work with seems to feel it. And I know you've experienced a lot with client work you've done that there are so many people with innovative, brilliant ideas. We are not for lack of ideas. What we struggle with is how to get those ideas heard and operationalized. And if you look at all the work going on around innovation and it's all about this at the heart of it. And I really believe this leadership is influence. Innovation is about influence. (laughs) Change is about influence. If you, you won't have any of that, unless there's a core capability of influence. And so to me, it's a ubiquitous skill set that goes across so much that that's part of what makes me really excited about it as a topic is that it's something if we get better at it, we can create some really great change that's good for the whole. So yeah, and yeah. I'm, I'm all about when we talk about influence, it's constructive influence for sure. Yeah, I was going to ask you what your definition of is in, of influence mm-hmm. is because there is, I like you said, constructive influence different from when you're trying to persuade people for the wrong reasons. I remember we talked about that in mm. Nashville over a, over a year ago when we were going through your program. Yeah, I mean, the challenge with it, what I've learned for myself and when I work with people, the, the biggest barrier that sometimes comes up is the word influence can trigger concepts like manipulation. The challenge is the same psychological principles that underpin constructive influence get used in manipulative ways. So we define it as influence is the ability to present an idea that moves people in a direction. And so your ability to present thoughts and ideas in a way that draw people toward you and toward the idea, that's what influence is. And constructive influence means that idea is for the betterment of the whole. It's not self-serving. It's not just to get what you want. If that, in fact, is the goal, then that's not what we call constructive influence. And we don't spend time on that, really. And that's not at all the goal. So that is, you know, in general, how I look at it and how I work with people on it, too, is is check the reason of why you're trying to influence first and then go forth. Yeah. And for leaders, you talked about influence being important in leadership and innovation, all these different things. For leaders, for executives and companies who are essentially trying to get things done through people, it seems obvious, but why is influence so important? Why should they be paying more attention to how influential they are, their ability to influence? I don't know. If you were working in a company right now, if you didn't trust the person and find them to be competent and believe they could take you in a direction, would you follow? (laughs) (laughs) Probably not. And I've been in that situation. Yeah. So I think that's all we have to do is ask people, what do they need to be willing to follow someone? And what do they need to be willing to be inspired to move in a direction? It will always be there's somebody in charge that makes them feel that way and also feel valued. One of the first researchers I worked with on this topic, who I also love as a human being, is Professor Jay Conger. He's now out of Claremont McKenna. He wrote a book years ago called Winning Him Over, The Fine Art of Persuasion. And it's all about, during that time period, it was the beginning of away from command and control into more of a time when people had choice. And it wasn't just about telling them what to do. And so I always go back to him and his work that he did for that book as a great resource to if people are ever wondering, why do you have to win people over versus just tell them what to do? uh, That's a good one to read. Yeah. And yet so many people out there think 
whether it's a strategy or, you know, as big as company strategy or as micro as a simple project or task that I just need to tell people what to do. Yeah. And they're going to go do it without spending, wasting so much time explaining why it's important yeah. to them or why they should care. When you sit back and think about it, like, yeah, I don't want to do that stuff without being connected to the reason. And yet so many managers out there, that's the way they're operating. Yeah. And I'd even add something to what you said, which is we teach influence, we teach the four C's, and one of them is common ground. And building common ground with someone isn't about telling them, it's actually about asking, it's about engaging, it's about involving. And when you look at stories of leaders that are doing a great job on that, or anyone for that matter, is they always start with questions, really tapping into what's what's going on in employees' minds. If you look at stories right now happening with this pandemic situation, it's the CEOs that are really asking themselves, what do my employees need right now? What are they wanting? How can I build that common ground with them? So good influencers never start with my idea. They always start with what are the needs and wants and desires of my stakeholder group? And then how can I connect my idea to what they need so that it's a win-win? Yeah. Yeah. I think the biggest thing is I've been studying this and talking to people about this. I mean, it's great in all times, but especially during a crisis like this to lead with this empathy. And that's what I mean from you, right? Is like, what do my people need? What's going on with them? Leading with curiosity, asking questions, getting to know people, what's going on? thinking about what they might be going through instead of just saying, hey, get back to work. Yes, completely. And really focusing on the human being versus the task at hand and really good, even simple exercises. You know, I was thinking about it the other day. I've been talking to clients that are working virtually and what are the techniques and things that can be used to really connect people and influence people to want to get engaged on a topic And even simple exercises that help us connect in an empathetic kind of human way. So like if I were to ask you right now, I'll just give you an example of a simple exercise. So I'm going to give you an inanimate object, okay? And I want you to share with me the first memory or thing that comes to mind when I give you this inanimate object, okay? Okay, Okay, so your inanimate object is sailboat. Um, When I think of sailboat, I... Go ahead. When I think of sailboat, I think of my trip to Pennsylvania last year when I went to visit my uncle up in the Philadelphia area. And I was visiting for a couple of days and he took me sailing on his sailboat out on a huge lake and we had a great time. That's so great. So right there alone in 20 seconds or less, I now have an understanding of you, Andy, the person that I didn't have 20 seconds ago. And what's interesting about this, we talk about an influence that your ability to speak in visual form and tell stories and really engage. I predict when people are listening in, their ears will pick up when you were talking about sailing with your uncle, right, on a boat. So that ability to see each other as human beings, to connect with each other, especially in visual storytelling, it's a very simple way you could build that into any meeting, any virtual meeting. Just quickly go around and do our inanimate object story, and you learn something new about the person. I hadn't heard of that before. It's a pretty cool exercise. So you're saying start the meeting with kind of this exercise of we're going to pick an inanimate object and go around. Everybody share their first memory of that. And the goal of that is for us to get to know each other better. Well, the way it's really structured is you start one person, like you tell the sailboat story, Mm -hmm. and then you end your story with an inanimate object and you pass that inanimate object to the next person. So you're actually hearing a series of stories based on different inanimate objects as you go around the group. And so it's dynamic because 
it engages people. You have to pay attention, obviously. You can't check out. Two, it's visual. So people are immediately compelled to want to listen. And three, it's personal. And there's nothing more powerful that builds trust than when we get to know the human being as a person. So I've had people say, wow, I've worked with you for 15 years and I never knew anything about you in that regard. And so anything that I think can connect emotionally, that's one of the fourth C's of influence is is a good thing. And there's definitely ways in this virtual environment that it doesn't take a lot of time, but it just takes a little bit of creative thought around how am I going to keep people connected and build that feeling of trust, even when we're not seeing each other face to face? Yeah, so interesting. I like that. Okay, I'm going to give one back to you. And I'm going with the first inanimate object that comes into my head for some reason, which is pickup truck. Oh, pickup truck. Great. Well, what comes to mind for me is I learned how to drive on a Ford pickup truck. And I distinctly remember when my father was teaching me backing out of our driveway, first of all, hitting the mailbox on the way out of the driveway, and then stalling on a hill once because it was a stick shift, of course. And that was when the stick shift was on the steering wheel. Yeah, on the car. And just sitting there in tears, you know, trying to figure out how to get the truck up the hill. So I have vivid, both lovely memories and also painful memories of the pickup truck. Oh, my gosh. That is fantastic. There were not any pickup trucks in my family, but my mom required that I did learn how to drive a stick shift before I could get my driver's license. So I had many of that. Those challenging moments, but so glad that they did that. I want to go back to, in the beginning of your story, you talked about being a woman in an environment surrounded Mm. by men. And I'm curious, you did a webinar for us several weeks back on gender bias. So I know you've studied this a lot as well, but how is this topic of influence, how does it differ for men and women? Should they or do they think about it differently or use it differently? Yeah, it's a great question. I got interested in the kind of the slant of gender bias when I've been doing the Influence Insight program for a lot of years in companies. And I all of a sudden for the past let's say a year and a half, I had a lot of questions popping up around, well, how is influence different for women versus men? And I really started to dive into that and do a lot of research. And I was shocked by what I found because I grew up believing, put myself through college, I work hard, I had job opportunities that we were living in a meritocracy. (laughs) And so even though I had encountered gender bias at different points, I had chosen, I think, along the way to deny or ignore it. And so when I really started to dive into this topic, I realized, oh, this is real. It is a real fact that gender equality, true gender equality globally is 257 years away. They're estimating gender kind of equal levels of men and women in leadership positions is at least 99 years away. So not in my lifetime is this going to happen in North America. And there's so many other factors that, that play into it. And that's just related to gender bias as a focus. So What I got really interested in is what are our choices? It's not if we're going to encounter gender bias. It's what do we choose to do when we encounter it? And I'm a behavioral scientist by training. So my belief is it's one conversation, one person at a time. And it's not just a female issue. We have to, as every gender in our society, build the skills to influence change around this. So my focus on it is very much when you see it, what do you say? And so I've had a lot of, when I did the session uh, for you and Bennett at your great conference you put on, there were as many men in the session really going, you know, what is it that we need to say and do when we're seeing it? Because implicit bias, we don't see it in ourselves. That's why it's implicit. So other people will see it. 
And other people will hear us say things that get interpreted and create a perception of someone. And they have an opportunity to influence and help the person notice it or do different strategies. And so my focus is on what do you do when you see it? How do you influence change one person, one conversation at a time? And yeah, it's something I'm really passionate about right now. And I'm doing a ton of development around because it's um, my two children are daughters. They're both starting to emerge into the professional work world. And anything we can do to shrink that 257 and 99 years down is a good thing. This episode of the Talent Development Hot Seat is sponsored by Advantage Performance Group. Advantage is the first place to call when you need leaders to lead, sellers to sell, and your business to flourish. We specialize in connecting companies with exceptional learning solutions to help them turn strategy into action and get their people doing the best work of their lives. We're also providing tons of great content on a weekly basis. In fact, we recently launched a great webinar series that has been going on weekly with content such as creating a culture of multipliers, gender equity, Liz Weissman's webinar on helping rid the world of bad bosses. We have a new webinar from Brent Snow on decision-making. We have a webinar on multipliers and how to use multipliers during troubled times, calming the storm. We have a webinar from our partner, Julie Winkle Giulioni on developing in place how to continue your growth during remote working. And a webinar from Paul Middleton on the secret sauce for learning in the flow of work plus many more, just head to our website at advantageperformance.com. Click on free resources and you'll find the link to webinars and all of our other insights and resources there. Thanks for listening. And now back to the show. It's interesting you mentioned there about helping people take some action on that. And I'm glad you mentioned the Talent Development Think Tank. I forgot to mention that you you led a session at our conference in January. Very fun. I did not get a chance to see it because I was running around as a conference host, but I heard nothing but just amazing things that it was one of the best, if not the best session at the conference. Everybody was raving about it and we're excited to be having you come back to our next talent development think tank in January, 2021. Uh, I'm very optimistic that people will be allowed to get together in person again um, by then. And if uh, not, you're going to come up with a creative virtual way. Exactly. (laughs) Then we'll do it virtually. But you talk about this idea of, of behavior change and taking and taking action. And I know you're very good friends with Brent Snow, who has a program called The Inclusive Leader on this subject, too. Yeah. And one of the things he I've heard him say a couple of times, which really resonated with me, is that a lot of times we do this training or whatever it is on gender bias or unconscious bias. And all we're doing is making people aware that, yeah, you have a bias, but then we just feel bad about it. What do you, what do, you do about it? Because we all have, mm-hmm. whether we want to or not, we all have implicit bias, right? Oh, if we have a brain, we have bias. (laughs) There's no doubt about it. I mean, yeah, nobody is immune. That's for sure. Yeah. So what is your question? I'm sorry. Well, well, I guess the question would be, if we recognize any of the, the bias that does exist in our brain or we see it around us, what's the best thing for us to start doing to actually make a difference in the world? Yeah. I mean, that's really the questions and the path that I'm on. Uh, So far, we've created, I've kind of worked with over the past year, a lot of thinking around this. And I call it because I think there's sometimes judgment that people can pass around the choice we make and how we deal with, in particular, gender bias or gender stereotyping. And my belief is that we all have to make choices based on our own scenario and our own situation. And so our kind of influence kind of versus status quo, meaning 
the framework we work with is there are times, and I can remember times in my career where being in denial about gender bias is the right thing to do or accepting it, noticing it, seeing it, and just accepting it. There are times when you might just choose and need to do that for various reasons. And you'll often hear stories, especially about women in the work environment where they have to keep their job. They don't want to risk losing their job. There's a lot of kind of just basic human security needs attached to whatever's going on. And then there's opportunities where we have to influence change. And when we influence change, we have it on a continuum where you can, ideally, you're focused on taking an empathetic approach, meaning we recognize that we're all beautifully flawed human beings that aren't perfect, that have a lot of bias attached to us as it relates to gender. And so empathetic response would really be applying the four C's, the ability to know the person. Do you have enough trust with them to have a conversation and to help them see what they might be saying and how that might be impacting in a negative way the perception of another person? So you can apply that approach in an empathetic way. The other choice in influence, by the way, that still is an important piece is what we call engage. And engage means to really confront it. And that's where you'll see a lot of big disruptive change happen. You know, articles that are written about companies where they have to pay attention to some of the gender bias going on. Otherwise, their brand will erode enormously in the marketplace. And my belief is all of those responses are appropriate given different situations. And each of us have to make the choice. And what we focus on is really when you do have an opportunity to influence and have a response that can help people in an empathetic way see what's going on, how do you do that? And really looking at all the mechanisms of everything from humor. Humor is a great way to really help people see implicit bias that they don't see. So, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but I can I can go on and ramble for a while on this. Oh, stuff. Sure, you've studied this a lot. Can you give me an example of the humor you mentioned? Yeah, I wish I could. This is part of what I'm trying to gather is scenarios. So anybody listening, and if you have great ideas on how to take a humorous response, because I'm not great at it, but I know it's effective. So I think an example might be if we were in a meeting together, Andy, I feel like we know each other well enough that. If you made a comment that perhaps I noticed created not a positive perception about, let's say, a woman in the room, I might be able to just nudge you and go, "Uh, wait a minute, (laughs) you know, and, and just make a joke, you know, or make light of it. Or I'll give you another example. I saw this happen recently. I thought that's really smart. So I'm facilitating a session and I break the class up into small groups like we usually do and when we're in person. And I noticed that one small group is there's three men that are in the group and then there's a fourth person that's going to be joining the group that's a female. She hasn't joined. Well, as the three men join together, I see them all give each other high fives, right? And then as the woman approaches the group, I notice nobody gives her a high five, (laughs) And so in that moment, there's a choice. She had a choice. She could either ignore it and just kind of go forth, or she could say something. And what she did was kind of in a very humorous way, go, hey, wait a minute, where's my high five? Where's my high five, yeah. (laughs) And so I think that that is an example in my mind of where people can accept humor much easier than they can accept a serious comment about their behavior. Yeah, you guys are jerks for not high-fiving, right? That's going to bring everything down. But if you make a joke about it, you could raise awareness and they could go, oh, you know, we just forgot or whatever. And then hopefully... Or they'll say, yeah, let me give you a high-five. Yeah, and high then five. 
what you've done, because the reality of how the world works is we have our in-groups and our out-groups. That's just kind of the way it is. And we like people who are like us, and we like people who believe what we believe. That is just what we call similarity bias. It's just real. So you can choose when you're influencing how do you become a part of that in-group while maintaining who you are as a person and recognize that nobody's perfect, everybody's got bias, and how do you play within that reality? And so, yeah, there's a lot of different choices that we can make. Interesting. You reminded me of something because, like you said, we all have bias, right? Like I try to be as open-minded or whatever it may be, you know, and, and avoid or be aware of these things, but we still do things all the time. One thing that I had in my head when we were at the Talent Development Think Tank and I was introducing speakers and I heard someone else say something about this, I think it was another conference or someone that got called out because as a man, when introducing speakers and other men came up, they would shake their hands, but as it would have a woman came up to give them a hug. Oh, totally. Because there's a whole thing in gender agentic versus, you know, soft behavior. And so the shaking of the hand is the position of power, you know, kind of strength. The hug is the softer, weaker. Did you, I don't know if you're aware, but probably one of the best articles I've read on this lately is the work Mark Benioff did at Salesforce around this. And I think he wrote a book. I haven't read the book, but there was a good article and it was all about, that was one of the examples he used was he realized. I heard about that. Yeah. Yeah. it, It was all about comp equality, which I thought was really commendable. And it took them three years to continue to go back because every time they'd set it, then they had to continue to reevaluate it because the bias was so strong. And that's why women still get paid 86% of every dollar a man gets paid, right? It's very real. So what one of the examples he gave was he realized for himself behaviorally, he was demonstrating behaviors that were not supportive of really treating every employee equally. And that was the example. When he shared the stage and asked for presenters to come up, He'd shake the man's hand and hug the female presenter. Yeah. So that was one of the examples he gave. I think I had heard about it from that. And I had that in the back of my head when we were at the think tank. Now, because of what's going on, we're all going to do fist bumping or. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, at the time, I was going to say, I easily converted that because I'm a hugger and I'm not afraid, you know, of the, oh, you can't hug a man. So I hugged everybody. Yeah. Um, except for maybe Josh Burson, because I didn't know him well enough to know if I could hug him. Yeah, uh, I would now. So we got a question on LinkedIn from our friend Bennett Phillips. How do you influence someone on a radical idea, one that challenges convention? Build critical mass. <laughs> I mean, that's the first thing that comes to mind is when we work with people on influence, we always ask them, who's the key stakeholder? If you get them bought in, they'll do your influence work for you. And I find the people that are most effective at influence. And what I learned painfully early on is it's not about yourself. It's not about your ability to be great at influence with everyone, because that's not going to happen. There are some people that were very able to influence highly effectively. And then there's others will never influence for various reasons. So I always say, how do you build critical mass and how do you start with identifying, we call it kind of the rock, that when you drop that rock in the smooth pond, it creates that kinetic energy. And that kinetic influence energy is what starts to create people to follow. And so, yeah, I always say, find your key stakeholder, your key rock and get them bought in and then let them do influence work for you. Yeah, makes sense. You got to get people on board to help you influence. We got one other comment on LinkedIn 
from a woman named Honore Cordor, who says, two amazing folks right there. So thank you, Honore, for joining us. Uh, it's great. Author and expert on books and writing. I know. I, I, I still need to write that book. So <laughs> Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Speaking of books, to the last topic, which is storytelling. Mm. You've been doing a lot of work on this recently. How do we use influence and storytelling to get things done? Yeah, so we've been training in the influence approach of four C's, being compelling is one of the C's. And if you look at all the influencers out there that have been highly effective, they have had ways of speaking to their audiences in compelling ways. Storytelling is one of those tools. So just similarly to influencing within realities of gender bias, we did a deep dive this past year on influencing with story. And so storytelling is a great skill. I mean, it's also a skill we can all learn. And I always hearken back to, I've never felt like a natural storyteller. Some people grow up and think they can tell stories easy. I had to really work at it. And one of the stories I remember that really inspired me to keep at it was I've had a chance to partner with Apple for years. And I was able to work in the organization when Steve Jobs was still alive. And he was amazing, probably one of the most amazing CEOs at stories and visual speak and speaking in ways that compelled worldwide audiences to buy into their products and services. And so I, when I was working there and he was still alive, I asked at the time, the CFO who's no longer there, is he just naturally good at this or does he have to work at it? And I will never forget that he, him laughing at me and saying, you've got to be kidding because he does nothing for two weeks prior to a Macworld presentation than stand on the stage, rehearse, recite every word, every gesture, every movement. So even though he showed up very casual in the black turtleneck and the jeans, which was his trademark outfit, there was nothing casual about his preparation. And I got to see him a couple of times in internal comms meeting where he wasn't quite as good or polished. And I realized, wow, this is a skill that definitely, if we learn the recipe and we practice, 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 we can all get good at. So that's really what we focus on in influencing with story is giving people the simple framework. It's not complex. It's the practicing and, and starting to get confident in our abilities that we all have to tell story. Yeah, and humans have been transferring information and influencing people through story for hundreds of generations, thousands hundreds. of years, right? Hundreds. And your friend Honore that just texted, she had a good comment um, when I was going through her course. You know, we all have a story to tell and we all have multiple stories to tell. And sometimes when we work with people, the hesitation to use story stems usually from thoughts like nobody cares, nobody's going to want to listen. And the reality is when someone starts to say, well, once upon a time, it immediately draws us in. It's like we get attention. And the reason yeah. that happens, I'll just give you the quick science behind it because it's kind yeah. of interesting, is there's a neurological and chemical response that happens when we hear story that is different than when we hear facts. There's a release of oxytocin, which is the happy hormone, the cuddle hormone, it gets us connected in, in a way that data and facts doesn't. And neurologically, we have to pay more attention when we hear a story. So we're activating more parts of the brain, which is keeping people's attention. So it's got a scientific basis for why it's so powerful. Not just everybody's telling a story now, but it, yeah. there's a reason it works. 
If you're looking for a place to connect with colleagues and peers from your industry and find out what other people in talent development are working on, you need to check out the brand new Talent Development Think Tank membership community. Inside, we have members from companies all over the world who are working on all different things in talent development and sharing what's been working, what's been not working, and answering each other's questions so we can all get our jobs done more effectively and be more successful in our careers. If you'd like to join us, we'd love to have you. Just head on over to tdtt.us slash community, and you can use code HOTSEAT for 25% off your subscription. That's tdtt.us slash community and use code HOTSEAT for a limited time for 25% off your subscription. If you have any questions, reach out to me and let me know and we'll see you there. You can feel it, right? When you started telling me the story of learning to drive on your dad's pickup truck. Yeah. Um, I could feel it. I, that was a, like the, one of the most powerful parts of our conversation. It was just a story about driving a pickup truck, but it pulled yeah. me in, as I'm sure it did other listeners as well. And that's why stories are so important, even and sales, especially storytelling, really important. And that's why Steve Jobs spent weeks practicing doing nothing else. And it obviously made the company billions of dollars. It did. And, you know, the key with it is it is a skill that you want to hone and practice because there's definitely things that you do that could make your story not come off as well, right? So there's pitfalls you want to avoid. There's a structure you want to learn. And there's practice, 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 practice. Yeah. So for people listening, I want to give them something to walk away with, some kind of value. I know you have a program on this, but what's one or two tips for me and others who might want to get better at storytelling? Well, I mean, there's so much out there, but the hero's journey in three acts, you know, is a simple structure also called Story Spine, but just goes once upon a time, this was happening, kind of life as it was. Mm -hmm. And then this inciting incident occurred that you want a path that was different from what you were. And that takes you into act two, where all your struggles and challenges. And you always want to build into your story what those challenges are. And the more you can actually be transparent with how you were challenged, it draws empathetically the audience in because everybody can relate to feeling challenges and struggles. And then at some point, there's this kind of pinnacle climactic moment that happened that then set you into the new state of norm, which is your act three. There's so much out there, but I think a simple construct is definitely the hero's journey in three acts. And if you start to think about how you can structure a story using that and practice it, we can all get good at it. Yeah. So thinking about the classic structure of a story, the hero's journey, and I learned this a while back going through a program like this and then reinforced when I went through some of yours in March that we need not search far to find examples of this, right? You can look at every movie, every great movie that you've ever seen follows a very classic formula. I always think of Star Wars, the first movie, uh, A New Hope from 1978, I think, you know, starts out on the planet of Tatooine with Luke Skywalker, who's a lonely farm boy. And then he finds a droid that plays this video or whatever from uh, Princess Leia and then his aunt and uncle die and he goes off on this adventure and there are battles. He has to go rescue Princess Leia. That's the big big journey, right? That's yeah. Destroy the Death Star and and save the galaxy, which uh, comes to this, you know, climactic moment at the end, uh, which they do, the Jedi do, and then they go off celebrating into the sunset. Exactly. Yeah. No, you see it in all the good, every movie that's character based anyway, you can see the the hero's journey in three act. And there's such just great examples everywhere. And there was this podcast I was listening to the other day where there's this guy who's really good at storytelling. The Moth is a good 
podcast, by the way, if you want to just hear people create stories. And his point, which I thought was really valid, is every day he looks around at moments in his day that could be story moments, and he actually journals them. And I thought, that's a really cool practice, because what it helps us realize is sometimes we think these very boring activities or things going on are boring, when in reality, they're the basis of a good story. So something to think about there. Everything can be a story. Yeah. I like it. Um, The other thing I took away from what the story you're telling about storytelling is one, go and grab some resources, follow the kind of classic story arc, situation, challenge, climactic moment. And then two is it's really helpful to practice. I think we decide, right? But the more we can practice storytelling, presenting, influencing, whatever it may be, just like anything else, the better we're going to get. Completely, because there's a difference. And and this is just my story is I can tell a story that's very what I call bland. And then I can work on that story and it starts to become alive. And what makes a story come alive is really putting in the detail of it. So what did it smell like? What did it feel like? What were the details going on? And that's what draws people in to be able to see themselves in the story and to be able to emotionally connect with what's going on. And so that ability to really build in that detail comes with practicing it, fine tuning it. And yeah, it takes some effort. Awesome. Well, we've got to wrap things up, Kelly. For anybody listening who's interested in this topic of gender bias, of course, as I mentioned, you did a webinar for us a few weeks ago. That replay is up on our website, advantageperformance.com. Sponsor website. You can just go to, I think it's under free resources, webinars, and it might even be on the homepage. And I also dropped a link in this LinkedIn post as well. We do some work together on influence. So if anybody's interested in bringing the influence program to their organization, you can reach out to me directly or go to advantageperformance.com. Under leadership, there's some information about the Influence Inside program. Last question for you, Kelly, specifically for people who are working in talent development in Mm -hmm. companies that are looking for ways to either grow their influence, grow their career, be more successful. What's one more piece of advice that you would give? That was me. I mean, when I worked in a multi-billion dollar company, I was in human resource development. And that was the question I was asking, like, okay, how do I think? First of all, the thing thing I would recognize is, especially if you're out there career-wise, I've been really intrigued with this, is we make a perception of someone within the first four minutes of interacting. There's so many studies and we're making a perception of their competence, their trustworthiness, their socioeconomic level, their beliefs. We pretty much make up a story of someone within the first four minutes of interacting. And so I'm a big believer is really be aware. Don't deny that that's happening. Be aware of it and really think about what is the perception you are trying to create in the eyes of the person that you are talking to related to whatever the career is you're exploring, especially if it's a new relationship. I think a lot about that. Don't underestimate the power of that, of first impressions. So yeah. that's, that's what I would think about. It's so important. And in the book that I've been writing about oh, uh, cool. ownership of your career, talk about the importance of building a professional brand or a personal brand and that everybody has this brand, which is the perception people have of you. And yes. whether you like it or not, it's there. It's there. And their perception is their reality, right? So right. you can play victim all day and say, well, they think this or that, and it's not true, but it is true for them. So the more you can do to influence people's perception of you, the more control you have over your brand. And I think the more visibility you get, the more successful you can be in achieving whatever the career goals are that you have. 
Yeah, for sure. I think that's spot on, Andy. And it's great you're writing a book. Yay. Excited. Excited about it to come out later this year. Uh, Well, Kelly, this has been fantastic. I'm so glad we finally got you on and looking forward to chatting more, doing some more work with you later this year. So thank you again for coming on the show. Thanks for the time, Andy. Have a great evening. All right. Take care. Thanks again for listening to the Talent Development Hot Seat. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to leave us a rating and review on iTunes to help other people find the show. And as always, you can find all of our episodes and tons of free resources on our website, talentdevelopmenthotseat.com. Thank you again and take care.